Hello and welcome to this special Q&A episode of Prasha's Murder Map. Thank you for joining me and for all the support, comments and reviews you've been sending in. I really appreciate it and love hearing from listeners all over the world. Now this is my 20th episode and the podcast has been running for just over six months now. So I thought it would be a good time to talk a bit more about myself and the show and answer your questions. I'll also be revealing an immersive mini-series coming soon in November and there'll be a sneak preview towards the end. I'll give you a clue what it's about. You're going to need your Gladstone bag, a lantern to see your way through the darkened streets, and a penny for the newsboy. That's all I'll say for now. So firstly, thank you to Katie from England, who sent me a voice note and has kindly agreed that I play it for you. Let's hear it. Hi Prash, I absolutely love your show. It's quickly become one of my favourites and I really enjoy the immersive sounds and voices that pop up along the way. One of the best ones was Zodiac parts one and two. I listened to them both twice. I wanted to know, what's your process for planning each episode and putting it all together? Thanks Katie. Once I've researched each episode and my wife has helped me to write the script, I start to imagine how it will be brought to life. Now some of you who've been listening for a while will probably know I'm a movie buff and I spent a lot of time as a child and young adult watching films, old and new, so now I sort of instinctively see things in a cinematic way. So once the episode is written, I plan out which bits I'd like a different voice for, or what kind of music or sound effects I'd have in an ideal world. I can't always do exactly what I want, as it depends on the budget and it all comes out of my own pocket, but once the episode is recorded and edited, the fun bit starts, and I put it all together. When I look for sound effects, I try to be as authentic as possible. For example, in my latest episode on Mary Fagan, I wanted to have the sound of a car pulling up, but because it was set in 1913, I didn't want it to sound like a modern car, so I looked for a Model T Ford sound, and this is what I ended up with. I think it gives a completely different sound and feel for the listener than if it was just any car. Another example is in my episode about mass shooter Mark Lapine. So I was in like two minds as to whether or not I should add in gunshots because it's a very sensitive subject and a lot of people lost their lives. And I didn't want it to seem like I was glorifying it in any way. In the end I decided to use sound effects for the first 10 minutes or so to tell the story then use the rest of the episode to cover the analysis of the case, the shooter's background, and pay respects to the victims against some simple background music. So I really felt it was important to make people realise the full horror of what happened, and it is uncomfortable, especially as I try to put in the right number of gunshots, and at one point they just keep going on and on. But that only portrays a tiny glimpse of how horrific it would have been for those living through it at the time, So I hope the sound effects helped everyone to understand that this was real. It's not just a story and the violence was unimaginable. Some of the best film and theatre does make for uncomfortable viewing, but at the same time, you know, they get a very important message across. And if this episode made even one person change their minds and decide to support tighter gun control laws, then it was worth it, in my opinion. I'll play a short clip from that episode. 
The gunman raised his weapon and shot her dead through the glass. The cafeteria was his next stop. Unaware of the savage drama unfolding in the building, about a hundred people were chatting, eating and happily making plans with friends for the winter break. Lepine opened fire and all hell broke loose. I do create some of my own sound effects myself. Uh, the most fun to make was the sound of someone taking a bite out of chocolate back in episode 2 on the chocolate cream killer Christiana Edmonds. I almost finished an entire 100 gram bar before I got it right, but that was my excuse anyway. I was seeking perfection. Okay, so I had a question from William in Australia. Hi, William. Uh, he asks, how do you decide what cases to cover? Originally, I had the idea of covering cases chronologically. So my episode on Mary Rogers was meant to be the first one, because it was the earliest, taking place in 1841. After recording that one, and Fanny Adams, who was murdered in 1867, I changed my mind because I thought listeners might lose interest if I covered one historical case after another. And also, if I found another case later that sounded interesting, it could have been out of order and I'd have missed my chance. So now I just choose cases that resonate with me, which tends to be the ones with aspects of psychology or injustice, ones which are unsolved, or ones with the moral grey areas. I also consider any suggestions from my lovely listeners. I've recently had a request from a subscriber on YouTube with the username Earthilla, who suggested the unsolved murder of Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palmer. It's a really interesting case and it's definitely on my list, so thanks Earthilla. Also on YouTube was a comment from Yarsky, who asked if I could look at an event called Martin's Evil Spirits. I've searched for this case and couldn't find much about it online, so Yasky, if you're listening, maybe you can send me some more information about it and I'll take a look. Next question is, have you ever been on TV or the radio before? Well, not unless you count the time I rang into LBC Radio many years ago to give them my two cents worth about winter tyres. See, when it snows in England, everyone gets very excited, and as soon as one or two snowflakes appear on the horizon... Everything grinds to a halt. So they spent most of that winter talking about it on the radio. And as I was quite enthusiastic at the time about tyres, I thought I'd talk about it. Not really a claim to fame though. Amy from Hertfordshire in England asks, Who's your favourite fictional TV detective? That's a good question. I'm going to have to cheat a bit with this one, Amy, as I can't choose just one. Detective William Murdoch from the Murdoch Mysteries absolutely makes the list. I don't watch much TV, but the Murdoch Mysteries is probably the only show out there that I'd never miss an episode of. Season 14 will be coming out next year, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I like the methodical way of Murdoch investigates and his penchant for inventions, but I also enjoy the contrast with Detective Llewellyn Watts, who seems very disorganised and absent-minded, but underneath all that, He's incredibly astute. In fact, Watts reminds me of one of my other favourites, Columbo. Now, Columbo is great for many reasons. His iconic, scruffy appearance, his trench coat, the fact that people underestimate him, and his habit of leaving the suspect's home only to reappear a moment later to ask, just one more thing, 
in a seemingly casual way, which ultimately catches them out. I'd love to know who your favourites are and why. Are you a Murdoch Mysteries fan as well? If you are, take a look at my YouTube channel as a few months ago, I made a short tribute song to the series, which you might enjoy. Now you won't get to hear me singing, but I did write the words for it. Uh, one listener asked, what are your favourite podcasts that are not in the true crime genre? It's a great question. So I love history and learning interesting things, so I really enjoy uh, Aaron Mankey's Cabinet of Curiosities, History Unplugged, which is by the American writer, historian Scott Rank. Uh, His History Cash is another one. Stuff You Should Know, Steve Silverman's Useless Information, and last but not least, Something You Should Know. I highly recommend all of those. Lucy from Scotland sent me a message on Twitter and asked, what got you into podcasting and can you see yourself doing it full time? Yeah, so I first started listening to podcasts a few years ago when I was diagnosed with a spinal condition and had to spend a lot of time lying down because it was more comfortable than sitting. I've talked in more detail about my condition before in an interview with Podfluence on my Listen Notes profile and in a chat with Adam, host of UK True Crime, for his blog. So feel free to check those out if you want to know more. I'm not going to go into it again here, but listening to podcasts and audiobooks got me through a tough time. I started thinking about creating my own show. I've been interested in true crime since I was eight years old, and I also love history, learning about other cultures and analysing the psychology of killers. So I wanted to cover cases from all around the world and throughout history, rather than focusing on just one country or only modern cases. So Prash's Murder Map was born. And yes, I'd love to do it full-time if I could. It's really challenging to produce a show as well as holding down a job, even though I only work part-time because of my health condition. But it's so rewarding. Obviously, one way that some podcasts eventually make the show their full-time job is through advertising and working with sponsors. But I'm reluctant to do that because I find it can be an interruption to the listener, especially when trying to make it an immersive storytelling experience. So this leads me on to another question from Ellie, who lives in Georgia. Uh, She asks, how can we as listeners best support your show? Thanks, Ellie. I really appreciate the question. The most important thing you can do is to make sure you're subscribed to me on your favourite podcatcher. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review it. Now, I know that not every podcast platform allows you to leave reviews, but you definitely can on Apple Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Podcast Republic, and I'm sure there are others, and it helps to spread the word and grow the show. You can also email me, tweet me, or fill in the contact page on my website, because the best reward is actually hearing from people who like the show. It might sound trite, but I really do mean that, so please let me know that you're out there. Tell me what the best part of Prash's murder map is for you, and do you have any suggestions to make it better? If you are able to offer financial support, That would be much appreciated, but I understand times are tough, especially this year. I do have a Patreon page, and you can sign up to be a Wayfarer for just $1 a month, or a Globetrotter for $3 a month, so please do check that out and have a look at the rewards. I sometimes give early access to episodes, sometimes post random bonus content, and I plan on doing a lot more of that soon. If you can't afford to pledge an amount regularly then I'm also extremely grateful for any one-off donations via PayPal. And all these links are in the show notes. 
If you're interested in listening to audiobooks, you can also get 50% off Audible membership for the first three months if you use the link on my website, www.prashersmurdermap.com forward slash audible discount, and I'll get a small amount of commission. Now, I listen to audiobooks on Audible regularly, and there's a great range available, including crime fiction. Membership gives you one audiobook every month, exclusive deals, and a no-quibble exchange for any title you didn't like. If you decide to cancel, you still get to keep your audiobooks. If you're not sure about signing up just yet, you can follow my link to get a 30-day trial. That's www.prashersmurdermap.com forward slash audible discount. Still on the subject of books, you might also be interested in a novel that my wife and I co-wrote last year. It was inspired by a conundrum of a crime that took place in Liverpool, England in 1931, a case I'll be covering at some point. It's a puzzling locked room mystery which involves phone calls, chess and impossible timing. We've taken some elements of the case, transported it back in time to 1900 and injected some rivalry between Sherlock Holmes and a visiting detective from India. I'll read the description from the back cover. As October of 1900 draws to a close, London's foggy, lamplit streets are hit by a string of burglaries which puzzle Scotland Yard. When they culminate in a gruesome murder, Sherlock Holmes is called in to investigate. But has he put the wrong man behind bars? In this atmospheric mystery, an Indian detective seeks answers with the help of his assistant, Madeleine Carmichael. With a touch of humour and a great deal of determination, the unconventional duo must use the most modern techniques to unravel the depths of human cunning. So if this sounds like your sort of thing, please consider reading it and leaving me a review. I'll have to know what you think. It's available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback format. It's called The Porcelain Cat, a detective arm and half mystery, and you can find a link straight to it from the Support the Show page on my website or down in the show notes below. If you like the characters, we may write more and turn it into a series. I received a great question through the contact page on my website, but unfortunately this person didn't leave their name so I can't give you a shout-out. Thank you so much for your comments and question, which is, if you could observe a real-life detective at work, who would it be? That's a tough one, but I'll go with South African supercop Pete Billeveld, who sadly died in 2017. You might remember his name as I talked about him in my episode on Moses Sitole, who killed 38 women Billeveld was one of the officers on the case and he also caught hammer killer Cedric Muckey who killed 27 victims. Now this wasn't an easy one to crack as Muckey was an unusual murderer. He had multiple MOs and his victimology was all over the place, young and old, male and female. So Billeveld didn't have much of a pattern to go on. Over his amazing career he caught nine high profile murderers, had a 100% record for solving cases and was even consulted by Scotland Yard, the FBI and the RCMP. So if I could go back in time while he was still alive and working, he'd be fascinating to watch and I think anyone could learn a lot from him. If you've been subscribed to the show for a while and listened to that episode of Moses Sitole, the South African Strangler, you might remember there was a bit of voice acting to represent Pete Billeveld with one of his quotes. It was never my intention to become a hero or be placed on some kind of pedestal. 
I simply did my job and never expected the recognition I received later on. Now this leads me on to another question because Nicole from Canada emailed and said, I'm sure I've heard your voice acting talents in some of your episodes. Am I imagining things or do you do some of the voices yourself? Yes, uh, well spotted Nicole. There are a few examples dotted throughout some of the episodes where I've voiced characters myself and Billy Veld was one of those. I apologise to any South African listeners if my accent was way off. I'm not a natural and I had to practice long and hard, but it was fun to do. I'm not going to give away where else I lent my voice, but there's at least three other occasions. So if you haven't listened to all of my episodes yet, fancy a bit of a scavenger hunt, keep your ears open and see if you can find them. Next question is, how did you figure out what equipment you needed and preparation to get started with your show? Yes, so I did a lot of research on YouTube about how to use Audacity, how to get things set up, podcast hosting and so on. I found that part fairly easy as I come from a technical background in the jobs I've had, but I'd never worked with audio before so microphones have been much more of a challenge. I use a condenser microphone but it's still an ongoing process as I want to continue improving my audio quality. Victor from Belgium asks, have you ever been to the countries you cover? Okay, so I've been all over Canada as I've got relatives there and crossed the border over to the US while I was there. So I've got a cousin in Atlanta, Georgia as well. I'd love to go back to Canada again one day, particularly British Columbia and also the US, but I'm not sure where to begin. There's so much to see, especially when you consider that it's about 50 times bigger than England. I've also been to France and Belgium. I'm sure I'll be covering some cases from Belgium soon. I mean, hopefully I'll be returning there again next year to watch the tennis, assuming life is back to normal by then. Okay, we have one more question, and then after that, I'll be revealing my upcoming seven-part mini-series. And I'll play you a sneak preview of what's coming. Madison from Sacramento asks, Is true crime your main hobby, and if not, what are your other interests? Um, I love wildlife, especially birds, and going for walks in nature. I enjoy learning about history, particularly American history, because here in the UK, we don't get taught about that at school very much. Really into things like the Civil War, the pioneers who moved out west, the gold rush, the conflict with the Native Americans and their culture. So rich in history, despite being a young country compared to others. I also love to eat, and one of my favourite treats is dark chocolate. So I've recently been reading about how and where cocoa beans are grown. I've discovered that conditions for cocoa farmers in Africa are far from ideal, as health and safety is minimal, child labour, slavery still exist, and most chocolate companies are not transparent about how their cocoa beans are sourced. Many of them have a statement on their website, for example, about being committed to ethical sourcing, but very few explain what that means in practice and how much the cocoa farmers are paid for their crop. We hear a lot about fair trade, but how much it benefits the farmers is questionable because a lot of money gets taken up with bureaucracy and they don't tell us the facts and figures around how the people on the ground harvesting the cocoa beans are being treated and how much they're earning. I've found some brilliant companies who are much more open about their ethics. I'm not sponsored at all, by the way. I'm just really impressed with these brands and want to make more people aware of this issue because it's so important to support ethical companies and to question those who don't make their business practices clear. 
So if you love chocolate, take a look at Divine because the company is co-owned by farmers in Ghana. They own 44% of the business, so they're involved in the decision-making and management. And Divine have also done a lot of work to empower women, which is brilliant. I believe they're available in the US as well as the UK. Um, Tony's Chocoloni is a Dutch brand run by an investigative journalist who's made documentaries to expose the conditions African cocoa farmers are subjected to by big companies and they're demanding change. No matter where you are in the world, please consider visiting their website to sign a petition for governments to pass new legislation to make chocolate production 100% slavery-free and hold manufacturers and retailers legally responsible for their supply chains. I'll pop the link below in the show notes if you're interested. So the moment you've all been waiting for, which is much more exciting than hearing about me, I'm proud to announce that in November, I'll be releasing a seven-part mini-series on Jack the Ripper. I invite you to join me on a journey to the lamp-lit, gloomy streets of London's East End to explore an unforgettable time in criminal history and an enigmatic, unsolvable case that still appears in popular media today, on stage, screen and in print, over 130 years later. It will be an immersive audio experience to bring the so-called autumn of terror to life with voices, sound effects and ambient street noise that I've created myself to help you imagine you're really there, standing on a street corner in Whitechapel as I tell the story. I'll be releasing all seven episodes over a period of just two weeks, so that's one every two days. If you can't wait for each instalment, all my wonderful Patreon supporters will have early access to the entire miniseries before the rest of the world. This has been a huge project, and I can't wait to get it finished. Here's a preview. Have you heard there's been another one? Where? Down Hanbury Street. Police say she was gutted like a fish. Thanks for waiting. The coroner's agreed, so let's go in and hear some of the proceedings. But be warned, it's not for the faint-hearted. The body of the deceased was lying in the yard on her back, on the left of the steps leading from the passage. The face was swollen, and the tongue protruded between the front teeth. The small intestines and other portions were lying on the right side of the body, on the ground above the shoulder, but attached. There was a large quantity of blood, with part of the stomach above the left shoulder. The throat was dissevered deeply the jagged incision reaching right round the neck. On the back wall of the house were patches of blood. I hope that piqued your curiosity. As it's been such a massive undertaking and the culmination of months of work, and because of my spinal condition which causes pain and limits how much I can physically do, I've decided that once this mini-series is released, I'll be taking a break for the rest of the year to focus on my health. But don't worry, I'll be back sometime early next year with an exciting programme of episodes planned, which will include the Axeman murders in jazz-era New Orleans, mass shooter Martin Bryant from Australia, and the outrageous but not talked about enough Mountain Meadows Massacre, perpetrated by the Mormons in Utah, plus many more. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and get to know me and the show a little better. I really appreciate all your comments and support, so please remember I love to hear from listeners and my goal 
is to keep improving and make the podcast as good as it can be. So even if your feedback is a criticism or suggestion, I still want to hear it. Please enjoy the Jack the Ripper miniseries coming very soon and don't forget, I'll be back next year after a short break. So even if Victorian London isn't up your alley, although I highly recommend you give it a try, there'll be plenty of other episodes to come in the future. Stay safe everyone and have a peaceful end to 2020. Let's hope that next year will be kinder to us all. Until next time, take care.